This is Transistor.fm. On the show today is one of the best bootstrappers in the business. Paul Farnell of Litmus.com joins me and shares some of his great stories. Stay tuned. If you have a web development team or a product team, uh, you probably want to know where you're wasting time and how you can be more efficient. This is exactly what my friends at Sprintly do. They help surface the things that are slowing down development so you can focus on shipping more stuff faster. You and your team can try Sprintly for free by going to www.sprint.ly. Be sure to thank them on Twitter, at Sprintly. Also, stay tuned for some shout-outs at the end of this episode. Let's get to our interview with Paul Fresnel. Hi, I'm Justin, and this is Product People, the podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. Today, Kyle is away, but I'm happy to have a great guest. Paul Farnell from Litmus is here on the program. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you. I've, I've been a customer of Litmus for a long time, so it's, uh, it's fun to, to finally get to talk to you. Yeah, no, uh, you too, Justin. Yeah, I mean, we, we go back quite a number of years now, I think. <laughs> yeah. So let's start by quickly describing uh, your product. What is Litmus and what does it do? Sure. Yeah. So um, Litmus is a tool for email marketers. Uh, and what we do is we help people um, preview their email messages before they send them out. So that is to say, um, letting you make sure that your emails are going to look great across you know, on an iPhone, on Gmail, on Outlook, on Hotmail, all the different places that somebody might read that message um, and design-wise make sure that looks great. And then uh, the the follow-on part to that is tracking how successful the campaign is. So we have an analytics tool which will let you see, um, you know, how long people have read a message for. Did they forward it on or they just delete it? Um, You know, how successful was uh, this campaign after you sent it out? Um, but everything we do is around helping people uh, design and send uh, better, more effective campaigns. Basically. Perfect. And, and we're going to circle back to the, the product in a second. But uh, let's start with your story. Where did you grow up? What, when did you get into computers? What were you doing before Litmus? <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so uh, as you can probably tell, I'm, I'm British. Uh, I grew up in a, in a town called Milton Keynes, which is just north of London, uh, about half an hour outside of London. Um, and uh, I suppose my first experience with um, with computers was through my dad, who um, who was started his own publishing company when I was fairly young, and so he was publishing a, a magazine, and um, and so it was uh, I, I guess through him that I was well, I first got uh, an Amiga. That was my first machine of my own. Wow. Um, that, what <laughs> yeah. a great what a great machine to have as your first computer. Yeah, no, it was great, yeah. Well, my parents were, I mean, I think this is kind of interesting. My parents were very keen. Like, a lot of my friends got games consoles. Mm-hmm. My parents didn't want me to have a games console. They wanted something that I could actually um, kind of create things on, I guess, yeah. the idea. Um, and I very much did. You know, I, I suppose, you know, it's um, 
maybe it, it sounds silly, but I'm definitely inspired by my dad publishing this magazine. I used to, I, I started publishing a magazine myself uh, and selling it at my uh, at my middle school, um, a, a magazine where we did music reviews and, and stuff like this. And, no way. Um, and started selling annual subscriptions to that as you're, well. You're kidding um, me. Annual, annual, yeah, so it was kind of fun. <laughs> annual subscriptions <laughs> to your friends in middle school. Yes, yeah, friends and teachers, because teachers had more money, of course. So. Uh, <laughs> they were better, better sales prospects. But um, so that was fun. So that was my, I guess, my sort of first introduction was that, and kind of seeing my dad lay out uh, magazines on. It was uh, Adobe PageMaker or Aldus, it was called at the time, I think. Right? Wow. Got bought. Anyway, um, so that was fun. Um, do, you, do you remember how much? What was an annual subscription for your magazine? Yeah, I think we did. I think it was a pound. I think it. I think it cost a pound because I think each issue was ten p, and so uh, a year was a pound. And we tried to do one a month. But if you but but in, if you subscribe for a year, you also got a cassette tape <laughs> that we had made. It was me and a friend of mine. Um, you got this cassette tape that was only available to annual subscribers. You couldn't get this if you just bought it on a monthly basis. Wow! Um, but you got this uh, this cassette tape, which was you know special edition, or, you know somehow exclusive, uh, just to these these annual subscribers. Now, how how did you have a sense to do all this? Was this you watching your dad and just kind of replicating the the business model you saw him pursuing? I, I mean, yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah, entirely inspired by him um, with that, you know, and his advice. And we would do like a a free gift with a magazine that like you get a pen or something silly. I mean, it's all obviously on a very, very small scale. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of fun. You know, we would enlist uh, other people, other friends would offer like uh, to photocopy uh, issues for us and stuff like this. So we didn't have to pay as much for printing. Um, we kind of pulled in some favors that way to get it free. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, we made made uh, a bit of money off it enough to kind of buy some sweets and stuff, you know, yeah. on a very small scale. Well, I'm actually really interested in this because uh, I, I'm a dad and I have kids, and I often think about how could I encourage them to be, you know, creative, but also to get some experience like that, like to to learn some business, to learn how to sell something, to learn how to build something, and and then put it out there. Was there something uh, that your dad did specifically to encourage that, or was this just you watching him and emulating what he was doing? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, <clears throat> I suppose I'm not sure. I mean, there may have been things that my parents did to uh, to encourage that that I don't kind of remember or that went over my head at the time, right? Because I, I maybe didn't notice. I that's right. Um, but I mean, certainly, the, I know that it was a very conscious choice to to buy this uh, Amiga and not a games console because I did, I think, originally want a games console. I guess yeah. I mean, like a Sega Mega Drive or something. Yeah, and and uh, got the Amiga, which obviously you could run games on, and I play games on there. But it, the the key part of that for my parents was that it, it had these kind of you know painting tools and all this kind of thing that we could um, I could do sort of creative things on, uh, yeah. which I guess these days obviously you know you have an iPad or something like that as a kid, then you can do way more than than I was able to do then. But uh, that's right. So yeah. well, well, let's so let's fast forward. Did you con did you continue having an interest in computers as you grew up, and um, is that what you ended up going to school for? Um, I did continue having an interest in computers, yeah, um, and and kind of began. 
programming, and this is probably a really familiar story, but you know, messing around with like batch files in DOS and QBasic and stuff like that, uh, and then eventually Visual Basic after that, and, and built some software products uh, that I sold online, and again, uh, I guess you know, with my dad's sort of guidance um, on how to sort of package those and how to write the copy for the sites that sold them and how to set up you know, affiliate relationships with other partners and stuff who would promote these tools uh, that I was building. Um, okay. This yeah, is so I had this little business that was called Peanut Software. Peanut Software. I had two or three different products. Um, yeah, for uh, one was, um, it was called uh, Instant Theme Creator. And this is back in the days when you could, uh, when you could build, actually, I don't, even, I don't use Windows anymore, so maybe you still can, but, uh, Build desktop themes, which are like packages of sounds and oh yeah, yeah, and cursors and stuff. Um, yeah, and so you might get like a Simpsons theme or something, and you could install that, and your wallpaper would be Simpsons, and your cursor would be Homer or something. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this tool uh, allowed you to put together these theme files, uh, which I mean, behind the scenes was very simple, but uh, but yeah, so it was a, a tool, I suppose, for people that were created themselves, you know, and wanted to yeah, and and have their own. How old were you when you did this, and and what did it sell for? Yeah, this was I would have been like twelve, thirteen, I suppose, um, fourteen, that kind of time. Uh, and what did it sell for? It was nineteen dollars, the Instant Theme Creator, and I think it was always advertised as twenty nine dollars, but it was on sale for nineteen uh, um, permanently. You know. Wow. Um, yeah. And did you have a website for this? Did you were you marketing this on uh, bulletin boards? Uh, h- how was it marketed? Yeah, um, yeah, the marketing was kind of interesting. I mean, I did actually spend a lot of time um, marketing this online. Uh, this tool in particular. Uh, yeah, there's a website, peanutsoftware.com, which I don't think is still there, but I'm sure it's there on like archive.org. Um, and um, yeah, it was for sale through uh, Reg Now, which would kind of take the payment for you and give you a license key or something like that. Uh, and um, it was listed on download.com, which at the time was definitely like the place to advertise uh, shareware and stuff. That's right. Um, and also I had a deal with a guy who ran a site called Theme World, which was like kind of the place to get desktop themes. And so people were going there to download free themes and we struck a deal. I forget what he got, what percentage he got, but he got some percentage of each sale um, of Instant Theme Creator. And a lot of the sales I got actually came um, via that relationship with, uh, with Theme World. Interesting. Yeah. So these are all the building blocks for the future, really. Yeah. I mean, figuring out marketing, figuring out which channel is converting the best. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, it was... Um, it, it was a lot of fun, actually, and uh, and actually, I mean, Instant Theme Creator, and the, then there was a, a couple of other versions of it after that. Um, you know, they actually made a, a reasonable amount of money, at least at the time, you know, making a few hundred dollars a month or something like that, which, you know, when you were 12, 13, uh, was quite a bit to have. Um, yeah, so I never had, like, a lot of friends of mine, you know, would do, um, I'm trying to think what we would have done as jobs back then, but maybe helped in a shop on a weekend or done a paper round or something like that, you know, yeah. um, where it was my first job, as it were, was selling this software online. Yeah. Was there any other notable products from that that time that, that you can remember releasing? Uh, yeah, well, there was another version or a couple other versions of 
uh, of Theme Creator um, after that. Uh, and there was another one called Instant News Group Creator, or maybe just News Group Creator, I forget. Um, obviously, News Group's still around. And in all, I don't know if this is still the case. It probably is. But there was like a process you had to go through to create an out news group um, and for it to be kind of picked up by the different news servers and stuff. You're uh, talking about so Usenet groups. Sorry, Usenet groups, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so if you wanted to create your own, it was a little bit of a convoluted process. That's and right. So this uh, piece of software would take you through like, okay, you need to send this format of email to this address and fill out. Kind of, it took you through, I mean, it was really just a series of forms. Um, but, you know, fill out these details about your group and what it's going to be about and all this kind of thing. And then it would submit that to the right place in the right format. And then you would get a response. And then you would do the next stage. I forget exactly how it worked, but um, that was much less popular. Um, it definitely sold some copies. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if there was really anything else that did that. But I think probably the people that were, you know, creating their own Usenet groups didn't necessarily need to buy a piece of shareware to an email, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> revel in that process. So, yeah. But that's, that's so still interesting. You know what's interesting about that, Paul, is like a lot of us, and, and I mean, Usenet groups and this kind of whole world, um, there's a certain generation of our listeners that might not remember that. But I think what we can all identify with is, you know, as we were growing up and got into computers, a lot of us would figure out how to do things. So we'd figure out how to hack out a a theme for Windows. We'd figure out how to, you know, the steps we needed to do to walk through um, creating a, a Usenet news group, right? But mm -hmm. the, the step that I didn't take when I was a kid is what you did, which was you said, you know, I could actually um, make this easier for someone else and sell this as a product. And mm -hmm. so where did that come from? Like, did, did you just always just have that sense of, man, making a, you know, an, an alt using that group is a pain in the butt. I should, I should create something that makes it easier for other people to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, um, it's a good question. I, I don't know really. I suppose I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I always, I really liked that validation of, um, of somebody paying for something. I found that very valid. Or I still do, you know, that I, I made something worthwhile if somebody else, um, finds it useful enough to pay for it, you know, whether that's, um, you know, a magazine um, in middle school, whether that's a, a piece of shareware or, or now, you know, a monthly subscription to something like Litmus. Um, for me, there was just, it was such an important step. I didn't just want to make a magazine <clears throat> and distribute it around school. That would have been, you know, less than half as satisfying as, um, making a magazine that was good enough that people would actually pay to read or even, you know, pay for a year up front to read because they thought one issue was good enough. Do you know what I mean? And so that's, yeah. I think, a very big important point for me was that uh, that validation through people, uh, yeah. you know, spending money on it. Yeah, and I, this, is, this is really interesting to me because I, I wonder, like my experience growing up was that I would figure out how to hack, you know, hack around things and then, um, but instead of creating products, I would be, you know, I was the 12 year old kid that got hired to network a whole computer lab or something like that. Mm, and yeah. a very different experience. And, and I wonder how much of, um, you, you know, you know, maybe just because your dad was kind of 
building a product, which was a magazine, and then, you know, mm-hmm. having to sell subscriptions, uh, you know, you had a model there that, that where you could see that, you know, you can do things that people will pay for, especially if they're good. And uh, mm-hmm. instead of just trading hours for dollars. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I wonder if, if, if I hadn't had that kind of role model of somebody selling a product and instead had, yeah, I'd been a, a, a consultant of some kind, yeah, maybe I would have would have thought more um, about in terms of, you know, doing freelance work. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and maybe the encouragement for us now is, because I think like a lot of things, a lot of this is about practice and having that mindset. And so a lot of times, you know, let's go back to the Usenet group example. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I like I created an alt uh, dot, you know, use net group when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I never thought, you know, this this could be valuable for me to, you know, sell this as something that someone else could, you know, make it a product and make it easier to do this. And, yeah. you know, even now, I wonder if there's a lot of things that technical people like the people listening to the show, you know, there's so many things that they do on a daily basis or there's things that they've learned or there's, you know, there's kind of hacks that they've done that could probably be turned into great products. Um, but they have to think about it that way. I, in a lot of ways, Litmus is like that, you know, like you, you could have, uh, we'll talk about Litmus a little later, but you could have, mm. you know, you could have just, you know, put a bunch of old computers in your room and, and done the testing for consulting work um, mm. to, yeah. to test all the clients. But then you, you went one step further and said, you know, if this is valuable for me, it might be valuable for someone else. Yes. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I think that's, that's very true. Yeah. And there's that, yeah, that, that scalability of, um, I mean, I think that's what's exciting about, uh, about web-based products, isn't it? Is that it's, um, in comparison to say consulting and having done both, uh, you know, the exciting part of, um, of a web product is that scalability and that, you know, the, the marginal cost of another customer being so small. Yeah. Okay, well let's let's get back to your your story. Was there any other kind of notable products that that you that you built as you were growing up? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it, it, honestly, from after the theme creator stuff, I, I worked on a. Um, I don't want to take credit here where I where I don't deserve it, but I did work a bit on. Um, oh yeah, no, this, yeah, this makes sense. Um, on a product that was called uh, Simple Image Editor, and and. It was actually my current co-founder's product, uh, Simple Image Editor, or it was him, him that coded it. Um, but it was built um, out of a need that one of my clients had, because I was doing some like freelance web design work uh, mm-hmm. at the time, and um, and I built this little kind of CMS. Uh, I expect most of the people listening to this may have built some kind of CMS for a client at, yeah. at one point or another, um, and. Um, and one of the things that they had to do is, okay, all your images on this, you know, listing here need to be 50 pixels wide or whatever. Oh and, yeah. Um, so uh, and and they didn't have Photoshop and stuff. So uh, they had a need to edit images. So we'd given them this CMS, um, and uh, and this was a pain point for them. And and kind of born out of that was was Matt uh, building this simple image editor, which he went on to sell. Uh, that we sold as part of the the CMS to the client, but also then he went on to sell, um, you know, as, as shareware to other people as well. Made it a little bit more generic, so you could do any size images or whatever. So that was um, that was something that I didn't build myself, but kind of worked on or um, 
worked on the kind of specking out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think following on from that, I mean, by this point, um, so I went to college not for computer science but for business. Okay. Uh, in Manchester, I went to Manchester Met. And why did you choose business? Um, I suppose that was just where my interest was. I, I, I think I'd always thought I would do business and not um, uh, and not computer science. I mean, I, honestly, I, I don't know if I'd have got into a computer science course. None of the things that I built were particularly well built. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the copy on the site was really well written, I think, uh, and they, they sold well. But mm-hmm. behind the scenes, like the, the actual the, you know, visual basic of the Delphi code um, in there was not, uh, was not that great at all. Um, whereas, um, you know, by contrast, my, uh, one of my co-founders, Matt, uh, did take computer science and just has this natural aptitude for, uh, for that kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. I, I think I felt business was just a better fit for my skills, really, or where my interest was. I didn't feel like I was ever going to be like an amazing uh, computer programmer, mm-hmm. um, but I felt like I'd had some success on the kind of business side of things. And, yeah. And so did did you in, did you enjoy uh, did you enjoy business school? Like, did you enjoy the the courses? Was that something that kind of you felt like was uh, a, a good investment of time? <laughs> um. It, no. <laughs> 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 uh, nope. Um, I, I don't know if I should say that, but no, I, I didn't. But I think what you said there is, is two different questions. So yeah. uh, the first is, did, did I enjoy the course and the course content? Um, on the whole, no, not particularly. Yeah. I didn't find it very applicable. It, it was kind of, I mean, this is, I suppose, my fault for picking a bad course, but it was sort of setting you up to be like a consultant um, or something like that, you know, not a big company or going into big companies and like fixing their systems stuff I, I don't know it was it, it, yeah the, the kind of management stuff and all this kind of thing was just not uh it didn't feel applicable at all to um to what i wanted to be doing mm-hmm. however was it a good use of time yes i think it definitely was um because what was nice and i didn't go to a particularly great business school um and uh and so i didn't actually find it very difficult really I, I didn't end up doing amazingly well but i got through it without having to spend an inordinate amount of time actually studying and so um the the kind of freedom that that gave me uh to and that's when we built litmus was uh it was the second year of college um you know the freedom to do that and to do uh, freelance web design work as well um i was doing tons and tons of spending way way more time on on either client work or uh building litmus than i than i ever did on uh, you know university studies uh, but and so although I didn't particularly like it and I don't have any particular uh, I don't look back and love my you know college or want to donate loads of money or anything like that but I do think <laughs> it was a really important time to uh, you know just to have had that freedom where you know my housing costs were paid for or as part of the loans and everything you know like I had I had money to live and buy food and all that stuff was kind of taken care of and so there was really no risk to to kind of start a business at that point. You know? Yeah. And that was, I was very fortunate to be in that position. Well, you know, this is interesting because I, I went to business school as well. And mm. I, I would, I would actually echo your, your experience. I, I think business <laughs> education in general is actually in trouble 
just universally. I, I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially in our space, people that want to start small businesses um, mm-hmm. that want to build their own products. Uh, I think that business education for people that want to, you know, at the higher levels that want to go in and be CEOs and, and things like that mm-hmm. are, it, I, I don't have any experience with that. But one thing that is interesting that you felt like going to school kind of gave you that freedom to to pursue this other stuff. And now that I think back to my experience, you know, I went through my first year of college and then I realized, you know, I'm, I'm basically like my cost of living is very low. Mm, yeah. And so I, I ended up quitting my part-time job and that's when I launched my first company was my second year of, mm. of college. And because, oh, wow. there you go. Yeah. because your cost of living is so low, you, you do start to feel like, you know, this, I have a lot of freedom here. And, um, I, I wonder, you know, cause I, I think about that question all the time. If when you talk to, you know, young people that might be interested in building products or, or, you know, starting their own business, if they should go to school, what, what do you mm. think you would say in, in retrospect? Yeah. I mean, I suppose I, I would say that it's, well, certainly not a requirement, um, but it did give me, yeah, that kind of freedom and, and space to, yeah, with as you say, with very little risk um, to try things out, which I otherwise wouldn't have had the time to do. And I think it's a little bit different um, in terms of the advice I would give, like if you're talking about like a private college in America, you know, probably five to ten times more expensive than my British college cost. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think you need to kind of factor that into, um, you know, these days at least. Uh, and college costs have gone up in Britain as well recently. So, um, so I mean, that's a factor, I suppose. I, I mean, honestly, also, I did not go to a great uh, school. Um, so maybe that experience would have been different at, um, you know, if I went to a better business yeah. school. Well, let me, um, let, let me kind of round off this part just by asking you, mm-hmm. if, if some eager 18 or 19 year old approached you and said, you know, Paul, I have a choice. I can either go to college right now or I can try to find a company that will take me under their wing and let me intern there. Uh, is that something you think you would do as an entrepreneur? Let, let a young person, uh, come and intern and kind of learn, um, like with hands-on experience. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, certainly it would be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because hmm. that might be something that, you know, maybe that is an alternative is if you've got, you know, four years of your life mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, some money saved up, you could try to find some some great companies that, that might be able to teach you something. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, 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 definitely. And I think, I mean, it depends where you're based as well, doesn't it? It feels like having moved um, so I now live in, in Boston in America and mm-hmm. um but here there seems to be a lot more support for those kinds of things. Like that here would feel like quite a realistic option. Yeah. Where I grew up, that would be quite hard to find, you know, a, a company um that would be kind of willing to do something like that, I think would have been been tougher to find. Whereas yeah. here I think that would be that'd be an easier option to do and and a great one to do. Yeah. Okay, well, let's let's talk about uh, the genesis behind Litmus. How, how did it start? How did this happen? You're in college. What's the story? 
Yeah, so um, so I was doing uh, freelance web design, and um, we I suppose there's an interesting, perhaps an interesting aside there, is that I was doing freelance web design for years and years and years. I mean, you remember I mentioned you know building that custom CMS and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing that for years and was doing okay and was gradually putting up my day rate um, over the years. But actually, where I found by far the most success was when I tried to kind of package up and, I guess, productize um, that web design process. So what I, uh, and at the time, it seemed like a huge leap of faith, and looking back, it's really insignificant maybe, but um, I, I stopped advertising myself as a web designer and said that all I do is uh, blog design. And this was kind of at the height, I suppose, of, um, of people using blogging for business. Oh, and that's been kind of the new thing to do. Um, and so um, and so I had a fixed price for that, which I did increase. I forget. I think it may have started out at $1,000 um, or $9.90 or whatever. And, um, and for that, I would build you like a custom, a completely custom blog. And, um, and that like really took off just in terms of freelance work. Uh, that made a huge difference, you know, because there's, Web designers, I guess, in general, are ten a penny. You know, it's very hard to discern the difference between people, especially in the kind of middle of the market. And so, I was getting, you know, a reasonable amount of work, but it was just on kind of a referral basis, and um, and it was okay. But the projects were sort of all over the place, all different types of stuff. And um, and I did really enjoy the, the blog design work that I had done as part of that. <laughs> so yeah, that idea of just completely changing the website, all the, the pitch. For myself and my work uh, to be just uh, fixed price uh, blog design was, um, was much more successful. Anyway, and so, and so um, d- just how much how much was the fixed price? So what was the product? Yeah, so I, I, I believe it started out at uh, nine hundred and ninety dollars um, for for a blog design, and there were certain kind of restrictions on that, like two or three sections and as many <laughs> revisions or something like that. Um, and then, um, and I, I'm pretty sure it went up a bit after that. Interesting. Maybe up to as high as like two thousand or two and a half thousand uh, by the end. Um, yeah, once I had a bit more, a few more examples to show and that kind of thing. Huh. Yeah. So, so you're doing. So now you're doing uh, this. You, you're doing kind of this blog design idea, yeah. and, and how how does Litmus come out of that? Yeah, great question. So, um, <laughs> one of the things that I had to do. Uh, as uh, before, you know, delivering the, the blog design templates and stuff to the client was to make sure that they worked across different browsers. And again, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have, have run into that issue and the, the frustration there, mm-hmm. um, cross-browser testing. And um, at the time, there were relatively few tools out there uh, that helped to automate that process or make that easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a tool out there, and I, Justin, maybe you're familiar with this, uh, it was called Browser Cam. Yeah. Come across that. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was it was all right. It was it was decent enough, but it looked terrible, right? It worked fairly well, but it looked awful. Yeah. Um, and it was relatively expensive, I guess. You know, it's like fifty dollars a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and really, I just thought uh, as I was using it because I was a customer of theirs uh, for a brief time. Um, 
I think I could do a better job than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yeah. we could build something better. Um, and, and I suppose it was mainly that design aspect. Of, maybe that sounds kind of shallow, but as a as a web designer caring deeply about um, you know the design of these sites that I was working on, um, then having to use this tool that's just looked terrible uh, in order to to test those uh, just seemed really frustrating. So the idea of building something really beautiful. This is also around the time of. Um, of 37 signals, uh, having Basecamp, and you know, using that myself to manage the client projects, and being so impressed with the the design and the usability and the, the cleanliness of that interface, um, mm-hmm. you know, so very much inspired by that, and thinking, wow, what if you could build a you know a browser testing tool that had the kind of design sensibility of uh, of something that was built by 37 signals, mm-hmm. um, and so. Uh, so I, I built it. Uh, I built the first version of it in a weekend. Um, the first prototype, I suppose I should say. Uh, at the time, it was it had a different name. It was called Site Vista. Okay. Um, one word, which I don't think is a particularly good name. But, uh, <laughs> obviously, why we why we changed it later on. But um, yeah. But yeah, Site Vista was was the first product. It was SiteVista.com, and um, yeah, and uh, had this this prototype up. Realized that. Um, it was very much kind of hacked together, uh, and it was running on a couple of old um, desktop machines that I had running. This is at college, so I'm running it off the uh, the university network, which was incredibly fast and totally free. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's so a hosting it on there, and and um, yeah, I mean that was the that was the the very first version. Quickly, it became clear that um, kind of getting it to run. Smoothly, like server-wise and that kind of thing, uh, I was a bit out of my depth. But I had a good friend, uh, David, who was uh, actually also at college, but doing his like year in industry uh, as an IT administrator at this travel company. Uh, and so I said, Dave, you know, could you could you help me, you know, figure out how to you know host this properly and you know get all these virtual machines that we were using for the different browsers and stuff, get all that stuff scaled up a bit and running better and what have you. Uh, and he said yes, and I said, oh, well, you know, um, I want to charge people for this, and uh, here's, you know, X percent of the company in order to you know, get all this stuff working for me. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that was our, the first kind of co-founder, the very, very earliest stage was, was Dave, and um, uh, and so we launched at, um, we launched, this is still called Site Vista at the time, and we, we launched at a conference in Copenhagen, uh, which sadly is no longer running anymore it's called reboot um, and uh, and basically I just printed off a whole stack of cards that uh, that gave you some kind of it was like a trial and then a discounted monthly subscription after that uh, and just went around the conference you know talking to all these web people and uh, and pitching them the product and, and handing out these cards like crazy um, and, and and that was kind of how we launched um, was that combined with um, you know pushing it out to the people who were on like these uh, listserv, you know, like web designers, uh, in especially in the UK, who I would talk to online on these mailing lists and, and getting their their feedback and getting them to trial it and and sign up. Um, yeah, and so that was the that was the very first version, um, and that's how we kind of initially got started. So tell me about. That launch. What happened after the conference? You you handed out a bunch of business cards at at the reboot conference. You you uh, you know connected with people over listservs. What what happened? What what happened after you launched? How many people signed up? 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, but it was very, very exciting. Of course, people could take a trial first, so they didn't um, they didn't have to pay right away. Um, but I mean, we, we probably saw like, probably like a hundred people in the in that kind of region uh, in that first month or so, either that we met at the conference or that I'd got access to it online. Um, and it was incredibly exciting to see them actually using the product. And I suppose in a in a in a funny way, because um, there were these computers that ran under my desk, uh, you know, even even a couple of months in. Yeah. Um, you would actually see when I say you see people using the product, you literally saw them using it because the websites they were testing would pop up on the screen of like the little you know Bondi Blue iMac that I had under the desk and the, these couple of old PCs. Like if you had the monitors hooked up, you would actually see the the web pages loading, being screenshotted, and then like you know sent off to them. So actually, that, the science people were testing. That's <laughs> um, awesome. It, I, I'm smiling right now. I'm just imagining that like you're <laughs> a college student and you've got these people signed up, and then you can actually see them using it. That that must have been so fun. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. It, would, it did cause some problems because I, um, the, my girlfriend at the time, uh, would would stay in my room, mm-hmm. and and all these machines would be under the desk, and uh, and she was a much lighter sleeper than I was, and <laughs> she would get woken up because the iMac and and all these machines, like when they were used for testing in the middle of the night, like the fan would come on, uh, and the screen would light up, and it was a very very small room, it's just like a little studio, uh, and she she didn't like the fact that I was running all this. Uh, under the desk, because you would get woken up if people were you know, um, in a different part of the world were doing the test overnight. Um, oh man, I love that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there were some trade-offs here. You, you were bootstrapping this, but you know this, this is in your your college dorm, and it, it's yeah. affecting things. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, relationship-wise, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it was. Um, yeah, it was fun, and and you know that feeling of the first people converting from that trial to actually paying, and they they got a deal, so it was really cheap at this point. It was nineteen dollars a month uh, originally, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, and actually beginning to pay was just kind of uh, just kind of amazing, really, really, um, you know, really, really exciting to see, um, mm-hmm. and um, and I suppose so. What happened next is we. Um, so we're still doing freelance work at this at this point um, alongside uh, Site Vista, and um, uh, we keep that up for a while. Uh, I'm just going to make sure I get everything in the right order here. Um, but it, but it became apparent that um, we, or that, so Dave's doing kind of the server kind of administration, like infrastructure stuff, mm-hmm. and trying to keep things running smoothly in that sense. I'm still doing the, the actual programming of the, of the app. We did it in VB script, um, and uh, I think yeah, and MySQL and stuff. But it was um, it was a bit patchy. Wow, I yeah, say <laughs> the best. And um, uh, so, and I had another friend, um, Matt, who I mentioned earlier, who I'd worked with on the, the simple image editor and some freelance work uh, in between. And um, and he was the guy who was taking computer science, uh, and so knew this stuff just way better than me. Uh, and so it was around this time that Matt came on board uh, as a as a co-founder um, to uh, basically to to write something that was a bit more solid than I had done. Uh, <laughs> and so that's that's what he did. So we we ended up throwing out you know basically everything that I had built uh, in those early days and um, and building something much more. Solid and quicker and more reliable and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and we moved the hosting away from being under my desk and in the <laughs> data center and stuff. Um, and, yeah, and when you at the point where you threw everything away, how, how many how many um, 
users did you have at that point? That's a really good question. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, it would have been under 100, definitely. Okay. Uh, so when I mentioned 100 before, that was around the number that we managed to get signed up just to test out uh, on that trial basis. Of course, not all of those converted to actual paying customers. So we would have definitely still been uh, say under 100 paying customers at this point when we, when we rebuilt things. Um, and then, of course, we, we redesigned the site at the same time. Uh, we rebranded it as Litmus instead of as uh, a site listing. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it looks, I mean, the, the logo and everything is, is the same as it is today. I mean, the site's changed a fair bit. But the, there are still parts of the application today, and this is five or six years later, um, that, uh, that are still left over from, uh, from that version that we, that we rebuilt. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Um, and sorry, just I, I think an important um, thing to mention too mm-hmm. was that um, I mentioned that we got started doing uh, cross-browser testing. Um, but when you asked me to describe Litmus at the start of the call, I said we're a company, you know, building tools for email marketers. That's right. So yeah. It was at this point as well that we introduced um, email testing as, a, as well as browser testing. Oh. And so the, the email testing piece was built entirely by Matt. Um, and that was a big, uh, a big kind of turning point for us, I suppose, is the expansion from having just one tool to basically having two. Um, and honestly, vastly underestimating the complexity of running an email testing service. Yeah. Because um, there's so many more moving parts than there are uh, doing browser testing. Um, but that's kind of an important thing to note, I suppose, is that the introduction of that, because that's now become our core product. Um, whereas we started out, you know, on the browser side. That's right. And and what was? How did you guys know that that was something that people needed? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, certainly, um, we had done a little bit of email stuff ourselves, um, so we kind of knew that that uh, HTML email was, was sort of a pain. Um, but it was largely through uh, people asking us uh, and and telling us that, um, hey, you know what, we. Um, you know, browser testing is hard, but email testing is even more difficult. Uh, it would be great if you guys could do something similar for email. And I suppose after we'd heard that like a dozen times and had some limited experience of that ourselves, um, we thought, hey, well, actually, it was Matt was very, uh, very gung ho about it, uh, thinking that it would be, you know, pretty much as easy to build that as it would be the, the browser testing part. And as I say, it turned out to be. Um, a bit more difficult, but uh, <laughs> but certainly very much worth it. You know, and further down the line, um, you know, we, we still do web page testing, mm-hmm. um, but it's very much a secondary thing these days. And um, and honestly, sold alongside the email testing in terms of um, test your emails with us, and then test the landing pages that you're linking to from those emails across different browsers as well, um, as opposed to trying to um, now, there's, there's, honestly, these days, there's much better standalone browser testing tools. Things like BrowserStack um, are, are great, um, and they have a stronger product than ours because we really haven't put uh, a lot of time into um, you know, like interactive testing for web pages or anything like that. And so, um, yeah, we kind of keep that as a, as a tool, but it's very much secondary to the, to the email piece. And a big thanks to Paul for joining us on Product People. Paul will be back next week for part two, where you can hear specific tactics on how to build a bootstrap SaaS company. 
Now it's time for the shout-outs. This is a chance for you to advertise your project to our audience of product people, entrepreneurs, developers, and designers. First, I'd like to give a shout-out to Kyle Fox, who's written a great blog post called Multitasking is the Heart of Product Management. Go to kylefox.ca to see that. Second, I'd like to promote our Product People newsletter. You can sign up and get product-making resources sent directly to your inbox. Go to productpeople.tv slash newsletter. Next up, the fine people at Hover are giving all of our listeners 10% off every order. Go to hover.com slash productpeople or use the promo code productpeople, all lowercase, all one word. Want to be featured in the shoutouts section? The cost starts at $39 per episode, and it's a great way to reach thousands of people. To purchase a shoutout, go to productpeople.tv slash shoutout. We'll see all of you next week. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, at MIJustin, that's me, at Kyle Fox, that's Kyle, at productpeopletv, that's the show. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.